Welcome to Living Catholic, the weekly webcast from the Diocese of Birmingham in which we engage with Catholic leaders to explore how we can live out our life in Christ faithfully and with joy. In case you didn't notice, I am not Dr. David Anders. Uh, I am Alex Kubik, the Director of Discipleship and Mission for the Diocese of Birmingham. Uh, Dr. Anders was called away today, so I have the distinct privilege of hosting today's guest. Uh, I'm speaking with Dr. Edward Sri. Uh, and so you can see Dr. Sri over here. Just say hello. Uh, we're, we're very grateful to have Dr. Sri with us. Um, uh, you know, uh, just if, if the introductions are needed, you know, Dr. Sri uh, studied theology at Franciscan University. He has an STL and an STD, uh, which are advanced degrees and, and licenses in teaching theology from the uh, Angelicum in Rome, uh, and uh, also taught at uh, Benedictine College in Kansas. And most of us in the Diocese of Birmingham are aware of Dr. Sri through either the Symbolon program that we've used on uh, formed.org through his work with the Augustine Institute, or with, uh, I guess we could say maybe your first Catholic institutional love uh, focus, right? Oh, so yeah. this, the founding of focus uh, at Benedictine and, and all the work that you've done with focus since then, Dr. Sri is in town uh, for a couple events that are co-hosted by focus, the fellowship of Catholic university students and the diocese of Birmingham uh, to try to have a conversation about the style and, and, and all of the good work and information and experience and formation that focus has provided uh, on college campuses, certainly here in our diocese at home at uh, University of Alabama, and now a little bit at Samford, and as well as, of course, at, Univer uh, uh, at University of Alabama, Birmingham, here in town, uh, through St. Stephen's. And uh, I think it'd be odd to say that I, I don't think there's any really plugged-in Catholic family in the diocese that doesn't have some family member who's been touched by focus at their time at college. Uh, so we're very grateful to have you with us, uh, Dr. Sri. Thanks for being here. Oh, delight to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's see. So we're going to just dive right into it. Uh, first of all, because inquiring minds want to know, we see Dr. Ted Sri and we see Dr. Edward Sri. What's the story? Uh, he's my brother. No. <laughs> no, I grew up in, you know, my, my parents called me Ted. My friends have called me Ted. But I first started publishing way back when I was in graduate school, and I used my formal name. Okay. Uh, and so I always tell everyone, you know, like, that's that's where I, you know, I publish under. That's who people know me as. So it gets really confusing. So I try to be consistent in my public space, like podcasts and videos and yeah, EWTN yeah. and talks and all to just be Edward. Otherwise, what really happens is people will come up to me and they go, Oh, you're you're Ted Sweet. Oh, you, you, tell tell Edward we really like his books, sir. We really like this video program. They really they right. I, that happens many times when people oh, call bad. me Ted. They just get confused. So oh, uh, we always just try to keep it consistent as Edward. There you go. All right, very good. There you go. Now, Diocese of Birmingham, we know the real story. Um, you know, uh, in the bio, of course, we can trace the timeline of of how you got to where you are with the work you're doing in Focus right now, but. You know, just maybe a couple minutes on the very beginning. Oh, you know how yeah. does how does Edward Sri go from being Ted Sri that your parents called Ted to to having like obviously there was a deep hunger in in your heart to chase after the studies that you did and to follow this mm. path of learning and teaching and writing about theology to this level. Where did that come from? How did that happen? It came from the Lord. It came from. Um, 
uh, many people that invest in my life. My mom's a very devout Catholic, had a, a wonderful Catholic school, parish experience, looking back on it, you know, uh, didn't realize it at the time, but it was it was all really good seeds of faith that were planted. So I don't have any dramatic story of like leaving the church mm-hmm. or anything. But I would say when I went to college, you know, I was, again, more involved than most. I was going to Mass every Sunday. I was involved in our Newman Center, wanted to like you know, help plan retreats. We restarted the pro-life group on our campus. I mean, so I was really involved. I mean, on the outside, you would go, wow, you know, 95th percentile in terms of young Catholics, you know, on campus. But if I was honest, on the inside, there were many things that were more important to me than my faith. And I wouldn't say that. If you give me a quiz, is God the most important thing? I would have said yes. Is your faith most important? Yes. But if I was honest, you know, other things were more important, like Mm. my career and getting great scholarships, internships, landing a great job, making money, being successful. That, I was very driven. That was very important to me. Having a great social life, a lot of friends. I played in a band. Is the band playing well? I had a girlfriend. You know, are things going well with the girlfriend? Like, those are things that vied for my heart's attention. If I was honest, uh, that was at the center of my heart more than Jesus was. Uh, and so it was really in the course of my young adult years. I was growing in my faith, learning about my faith. Uh, I remember being on a retreat, and the, the priest gave a reflection on the story of the rich young man. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he shared about how this man was obedient, followed all the commandments, wanted to follow Jesus, wanted eternal life, but he couldn't give Jesus everything. And he wanted to mm-hmm. cling on to his, to his possessions. Mm-hmm. And he walked away sad. Yeah. And, and it just hit me. I just like, wow, that's wow. me. You know, I'm the rich young man. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm following the rules. I, again, doing what I'm supposed to do, but... I want to control my own life, and these other things are more important. I, I was clinging on to my own possessions, and that night I knew Jesus wanted me to surrender everything, put everything in his hand. Uh, so that I think that was a key turning point in my young adult years of not just being a Catholic, going through all the motions, saying the right things, believing the right things, but a Catholic that really wanted to have Jesus sit on the throne of his heart, uh, to let Jesus really be the king of my life, yeah. to follow his plan for my life and not my own. Wow. That's that's awesome. That's fantastic. It's and so, uh, you know, one of the themes that you write about, talk about, obviously, it's all up and down. Everything that focuses about is this thing that, you know, it certainly isn't a new term, but Pope Francis has really driven home the phrase missionary discipleship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think we've we've heard uh, Archbishop Christophe Pierre was here a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. and he had said, you know, he, he he flipped the order, and he said, you know, in other languages, it's disciples on mission or, or mm. disciples who are missionaries, you know, mm-hmm. and that, uh, and so we've had over the last couple of years in this diocese, just incessant conversations about what does that even mean? You know, what does it mean to be a missionary? What does it mean to be mission? What's your 30 second elevator pitch for what is missionary discipleship? First, a disciple is someone that follows Jesus, that imitates Jesus. I seek to love like him, serve like him, think like him, um, you know, be generous like him, value what he values. So it's taking on the character of Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple, to follow Jesus. Now, we follow Jesus and we realize how much of a difference he makes in our lives. And he was on mission and I want to be on mission too then. Like in other words, if Christ has really made a difference in my life, if he's really the center of my life and I experience his love, his mercy, his joy, uh, it, I just want to share that with other people. So that's a simple way of just being a missionary disciple is sharing the love and the joy that you've experienced in Jesus Christ. And if you're not sharing Christ, maybe you haven't experienced the love and joy mm-hmm. as much as 
he wants you to. He wants yeah. you to encounter him more deeply. Um, but if you experience something really good like that, you just want to share it with other people, right. whether it's a good movie, a good restaurant, you know, uh, you just want to share the good. And so yeah. if you've really encountered Jesus, you don't have to have a lot of training in theology that'll make it better, <laughs> right, but, right. but you want to share the good, which is Jesus himself. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, you mentioned all those, the, the, the very simple things that are, that are good, we have no problem sharing, mm-hmm. but the thing that's the best seems to be the one that sometimes we trip up on sharing. (laughs) (laughs) So very recently you wrote a commentary on Matthew's gospel, and the opening line uh, is, much has been said about how Jesus died. This book focuses on how Jesus, on why Jesus lived. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was a great quote. Dr. Anders thought that was a great quote. Um, It's an important distinction when you think about it in terms of missionary disciples. Why was that such an important distinction for you to make? Oh, well, okay, that's a book I, I wrote. It's on, yeah, it's a simple walk through the gospel. It's really about Christ's life. I use Matthew's gospel as the framework, as Matthew's known by the church as the catechist gospel. Excellent yeah. for if you're passing on your faith to your children, to you know, in pastoral ministry, uh, to use Matthew's gospel as the framework is the easiest one. But I wanted mm-hmm. to show people that this gospel that, that Matthew writes in telling about the life of Jesus, there's these, you know, chapters at the end about his passion you know, two chapters, <laughs> right, you know, right. but there's this whole rest of the story. And if all Jesus did was come to die for our sins, then why, why didn't he just do that when he was a little baby in chapter two, when Herod could have killed him, right? Mm-hmm. He, he runs mm-hmm. away from death. Well, maybe he had to be an adult. Well, even as an adult, they're trying to kill him. They throw stones at him, you know, and he's always running away from death. It's not until very end, like after three years of public, <laughs> public ministry, does he <laughs> dies. But what, what was he doing at all the time? Yeah. What he's talking about is his kingdom, which is his church. That's it. And so Jesus didn't, if all Jesus did come to die, you know, that, that, that wouldn't, I mean, that's the center of it all, right? But that, that saving work of his death and resurrection has to be applied to our lives, and it's applied to our lives through the church. And that's what Jesus spends most of his time talking about. He's announcing a kingdom, <laughs> yeah. uh, and he establishes the po- apostles as the kind of his, his co-workers in this kingdom, and they're going to carry out his work when he's done, and it's carried out through the sacraments and through the teachings of the church. So, uh, it's very important to ask the question, why did Jesus live? He lived to give us the kingdom. He lived to give us the example of how to live life in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we encounter Jesus through his church, through his teachings that are passed on through the church and through the sacraments. That's amazing. Very cool. I love that. I love that 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 going back to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. It's something I think that we, we you know, how many times does Jesus say in the gospel, you know, the kingdom of, of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand? Yeah, it's what he talks about the most. Yeah. yeah. It's right. the number one thing he talks right. about. He doesn't yet. say the crucifixion is at hand or, yes. you know, <laughs> the, yeah, he says the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's just beautiful. It's beautiful. So um, maybe to go a little bit off script here, um, one of the things that, you know, that you just said just a couple minutes ago that really struck me, and I've heard you say similar things before when it, when it comes to your own personal story, mm. you know, was, uh, you know, I don't have one of those dramatic, I left the church stories, you know? And and I think it's really important here for us living in the Bible Belt, testimony is a big thing. Uh, you know, uh, children of other denominations are taught from 10, 11 years old a framework for how to build a testimony. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've used similar frameworks that Focus makes available to <laughs> work that way with adults. Uh, I, I did have that experience as, a, as, a, as an 11 or 12-year-old working out my testimony, you know? 
And and I think sometimes we can be a little bit self-deprecating if we don't have that big dramatic story and we forget that most human beings don't have that big dramatic story. So perhaps our story... So what would you say to people who feel, you know, my testimony is deficient or I don't have that big thing? How do they share their story? What do they say? I mean, I've heard you give countless personal witnesses of your life in the last 24 hours, <laughs> and yet you tell me you don't have the, that dramatic testimony. What do you say to people who are worried about that? Yeah, everybody has a great story. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you know, if you've really encountered Christ, you've got an amazing story. It may not be, you know, I was a punk rock band leader doing drugs, and then I found Jesus, you know, right, or right, right. Uh, the Scott Hahn story. I was a Protestant minister, and I became Catholic. You know, we may not have the dramatic story. Uh, but we all have a story of God's grace in our lives. And it's the, the idea of sharing a, a witness, a testimony, is not just Protestant. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful the Protestant you know, churches emphasize that because it's biblical. It goes back to St. Paul. St. Paul and Acts of the Apostles multiple times is sharing his story of his conversion. Now, his was a big one, right? Um, but but St. Peter says in the New Testament that we should always be prepared to give a defense you know, for our faith. Why are we Christians? Why are you Catholic? We should always have a, a, a reason for that. And that reason isn't just because of these five truths I really like. The real reason is because we've experienced something in our own spiritual life. We've experienced the difference Jesus makes with our life. That's what Pope Francis says. He says, if you've really experienced how friendship with Christ makes all the difference in your life, then you can't help but share them with others. You want to tell others about why he makes a difference. You know, so... Uh, I don't think you have to have the dramatic story at all. In fact, I was just in Spokane, Washington, where fo in Focus we were doing a training for ordinary lay people. These aren't like, you know, big people with dramatic stories. These are just ordinary lay people right there in the church. And there were some amazing stories, but there were others that were amazing, but just simply because of how ordinary they were. You know, uh, again, you could be someone that grew up Catholic. You were baptized. You got great catechism. You know the faith. But you, you've you've had a moment in your life where you had to own it for yourself. It wasn't just the faith of your parents or the faith of your pastor or your youth, your youth group leader. That there was something that you had to step out and choose. You went through some suffering and you had to cling to Christ in a new way. Or you had to make a big decision about, oh, do I follow God's way or what the world is saying I should do? You know, do, uh, do, I, do, I, do I fall into this sin or do I, you know, well, no, I better not do that because Jesus doesn't want, why am, I, why am I not doing that? I have to make a decision. Am I really doing this for Christ? We've all had maybe some moment where we really made that faith personal. We we accepted it for ourselves, uh, just like I did on that one night at my retreat with the rich young man. You know, it's a simple story, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. everybody has something like that. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I just did a training for the in the diocese of Green Bay in Wisconsin, and there was a big men's conference. So just picture a couple hundred men all gathered together for this men's conference. We broke them into small groups. We trained all these men in how to give their testimony. In a very simple way. We're not trying to do it in a right. dramatic way that right. sells well on cable television. <laughs> you know, no, no, but, but just ordinary men telling the story about how Christ made a difference in their life. And it was beautiful seeing these guys go around the, you know, their little small groups and share uh, their, their simple testimony that they worked on that day. Yeah, you know, um, you mentioned, you know, the ordinary Catholic a couple of times mm -hmm. in, in that last answer. So just a, in a couple more questions uh, before we're done here. Um, Dr. Anders writes, you know, he's, as, he's, as if he were interviewing, he says, you know, I'm a theologian, you're a theologian. In his experience, he says, many of the trained theologians tend not to be the most practical or pastorally focused people in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, sometimes it can be a bit uh, erudite, a little bit heady. Uh, and, and so we tend to come up against sort of this tension 
Uh, and and so we have people who would share their faith, but they feel they're not theologically prepared, or or a certain sense of almost a a, a, res, a resistance or a resentment almost to theological study, or or a feeling of deficiency. Yet in your books, in your work with Focus, there's there's this pastoral prerogative. Has that always been with you, or how, how do you balance that? How do you balance all the advanced studies in theology with real life, practical, real ordinary Catholics can do this? Yeah, I think it's just something I've always wanted to do. Now, I love the heady and the erudite, the scholarly articles and all that. I mean, I love that, but I, I've i always had this desire to take all that, because what the, the high-level intellectual you know, grasping of the faith makes us better equipped to deal with the crises in our culture today, which are intellectual crises. Is there truth? What is love? What is marriage? Those are intellectual questions. You can't just have a program. Here's five steps to go evangelize in our culture today. It's just not going to work, unless you are transformed by the renewal of your mind, as St. Paul says. We have to have, we have to start with that high-level intellectual formation. I'm so thankful there are many, many wonderful, great teachers out there that can help us with that. And, and I love, that's why in my, in my own formation, I'm you know, grateful for the teachers in my life that have helped you know, stretch my mind to grasp better the mysteries of the faith. But I, I love then taking that and now translating that to the average layperson. Hmm. to show the difference it makes for their walk with the Lord today. So Focus has been, uh, you know, by, by most people's accounting, uh, wildly successful. There was obviously a deep need that you and Curtis Martin recognized, saw, you know, prayed, researched, found a way to answer that need, and, and you've done wonderful work there. And now one of the reasons that you're here giving the conference you're here this week and and some of the conversations that you and I have had that I know are, are ha- being had all over the place as it relates to focus is, so so how do we do this in the rest of the church? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think a lot of people are looking to you, uh, your organization, and saying, we see the success that you have. How do we model that success in a parish, in a diocese, in a Catholic school, outside of the university setting? Uh, what are maybe two or three practical suggestions that you could give to our own pastors, our own lay leadership, to say that these are some quick, easy, practical things that you could do? Maybe not easy, simple maybe, but not easy. Uh, things that you could do to to model the work of focus in those sure. other contexts. First one's really easy. You know, you call it success. You know, the fruitfulness of what's happened in focus is just a blessing. It's the Lord's work, <laughs> you know, uh, and it's been so fun to be a part of the ride, really. I mean, that. I mean, I know a lot of men and women who put great hard work into a lot of thought and strategy, and of course, God uses that. But in the end, it's God's work, and, and that's something everyone could realize. In the earliest days of focus, there was just tons, I mean, to this day, you know, but I remember those early days praying on our knees, you know, with student leaders, praying for conversions on campus, end to drunkenness, end mm-hmm. to sexual immorality. We prayed for leaders on the football team. We prayed for leaders in the student government, leaders in the drama department, and everywhere all those conversions started happening. It was all rooted in prayer. Uh, and, I, and I countless stories throughout the last 23 years in focus on campuses of things like that. So wherever you are, pray for your children. You, you're praying for your parish. You're praying for those conversions in the ministry. Uh, I think that, that, that you know, the God will work through that. Um, and then, you know, I think one more thing that any ordinary person can do is, in focus, we call it authentic friendship. It's just the idea that uh, St. Paul describes in First Thessalonians 2.80, just says, you know, we gave you, the Christians in Thessalonica, not only the gospel, but our very selves. And 
I think so, so many times we can miss what evangelization is ultimately about. It's about loving the people God has placed in your life, whether it's in your RCA group or Bible study group or a baptismal ministry group, marriage group, whatever ministry you're in, or just your own family, your own children, that we have to lead with that love. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not about the information and the program and the, you know, the workbooks. <laughs> you know, God uses that, but it's really sure. the main instrument God wants to use is you. You're the primary instrument of evangelization. So if you're praying, the first point, but the second point, if you're really going out and spending time with the people that you're serving, spending time outside of church time, like you go out for coffee, you get to know them, have them over for a meal. If you're spending time listening to them, really taking a sincere interest in their life, loving them as a friend, even if they never become Catholic, they never convert, you really sincerely love them. If they pick up on that divine love, that love of Christ, it's so, you know, most people don't encounter authentic friendship in this yeah. very individualistic, self-centered world. Yeah. So be, by you just being a good friend, so much is happening that God can work through for evangelization. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Dr. Sri. Thanks for being with us for this conference. Thanks for taking the time um, to for, to record this this show with us. Uh, this kind of new effort, it's kind of good for us. Now, speaking of, I know that you also have a podcast, so we want to make sure we mention that to our listeners. Oh, yeah. It's uh, called All Things Catholic with Edward Sri. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, whatever. You can find it on my website also, which is edwardsri.com. That's edwardsri.com. And you've got a lot of information there, articles, videos, all kinds of things. Of course, uh, those of you who are in parishes with forum subscriptions, you can still find a lot of Dr. Sri's uh, work there through the Symbolon program and some other recordings and stuff there. So uh, thank you for all that you do for Focus. Thank you what you do for our, our college students uh, and for what you're doing for, for all of us in the church at, at large. Uh, and thank you all for listening. We just want to remind you that if you enjoy the show, please make sure that you like and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, if you're listening on podcasts, if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Uh, or make sure whatever podcast platform you're listening to that you give us whatever the best star rating or review that you can possibly give us. And please make sure to share uh, this, this podcast with your friends and family, your fellow parishioners, your staff, uh, your, your fellow priests, whomever you can, so that we we get these conversations happening in, in as many places as we possibly can in the diocese. In our next episode, we're going to be speaking with Father John Paul Mary Zeller of the Missionary Franciscans of the Eternal Word from EWTN uh, about the Eucharist and Eucharistic adoration. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>